Hey, this is Matt Manning, and you're listening to the Road to Detroit podcast. You're on the Road to Detroit, the podcast. Here's your host, Dan Hasty. Episode 9, we're at the halfway point here on the Road to Detroit. Welcome back. Glad to have you along here for Episode 9 of the RTD. We've got a lot coming up here on the show. Matt Manning, the Tigers' number 2 overall prospect, is scheduled to join us. Did you see the spikes he wore in the MLB Futures game? He was donning all of his favorite characters, I think all the characters from the TV show The Office. Now, if you're an Office fan, and so are we here on the road to Detroit, we'll talk to Matt Manning coming up in just a little bit. We've got a quiz for Matt to see how well he knows The Office. So we'll put Matt Manning's office knowledge to the test. We'll also talk about what's been a dominant season for the 21-year-old right-hander at AA Erie. Also, we just had our first live edition of the Road to Detroit Twitter Q&A segment It was last week on Twitter. You guys had great questions. And you know what? This podcast, as much fun as it is, we don't have the kind of time to go into specific players each and every time and give you guys the information that I know you are looking for and deserve. So thank you again for all your questions. We actually saved some of those, put some aside for this edition of the RTD. So we've got a mailbag coming up, and we'll get into some of the other questions that we missed last week. Our producer is Nate Wangler. I'm Dan Hasty. You can find The Road to Detroit on Twitter at Road to Detroit. You can find me as well at that Dan Hasty. Now that we've got all that out of the way, let's get on the on-ramp. Let's go over to Connecticut. The Connecticut Tigers won three on the road against Auburn before returning home. They stole two out of three against Tri-City. Brian Pena's team is starting to get some victories, and they've had a lot of roster changeover. A lot of their guys from even a week or two ago have already moved on to Class A West Michigan. One guy who hasn't, who's been crushing the baseball, is the 18-year-old Riley Green. He's on an eight-game hitting streak. Here's the crazy thing about Riley Green. He has now played in 16 professional games. He has gotten on base in every single one. Eight-game hitting streak. All he's doing in Connecticut is hitting 400 with a 471 on base percentage. In his third game of the series against Tri-City, how about these numbers? Three for six at the plate, a single, a double, a home run. It was a three-run shot. Riley Green is starting to really surprise some people. I think we knew the bat was good all along, but I don't think anybody thought it would be this good this fast. He's played his way out of the Gulf Coast League. He might be playing his way right out of the short season New York Penn League. Here's someone else who's really started to come into their own. Ryan Creedler, the fourth rounder for the Tigers out of UCLA. Five for his last 15, six walks, seven RBIs. He went two for three with a pair of runs and an RBI in his final game of the series with Tri-City. Over to West Michigan, Whitecaps finished up a six-game homestand. They lost two out of three against Quad Cities and Kane County. They added a ton of new faces over the course of the last seven days. As a matter of fact, they now have five members of the 2019 draft class on that West Michigan roster. The second and third rounders, Nick Quintana and Andre Lipsius, respectively, they were the first two to arrive in West Michigan. Then it ended up as the fifth rounder. Brian Packard made his way to the Whitecaps. He was followed by the reliever from LSU, the seventh rounder, Zach Hess, who had a save in his first and only appearance with the Whitecaps, looked dominant in an inning of work. And Cooper Johnson, the sixth round pick, the catcher from Ole Miss, has now been added to that roster. So a lot of the early draft returns have already worked their way into the Midwest League. Jack Kenley, eighth rounder out of Arkansas, he's also there. 
Scouts like the defense. Bat's still catching up. He struggled a little bit out of the gate, just 121, 14 strikeouts in his last 10, but he was pretty good in the Gulf Coast League. He hit over 430, so we'll see how soon he's able to adjust to the Midwest League. Meanwhile, Andre Lipsius, we just mentioned him, a seven-game hit streak. Now, here's the thing. The seven games worth of hits are all singles, but he's finally hitting with some consistency. His batting average dipped under about 180, but all of a sudden, he started going on a tear. The joke is now when we watch Andre Lipsius is that it's singles night at the ballpark. <laughs> Jared Toby held a 169 ERA with 38 strikeouts, had 26 and two-thirds innings of work for the Whitecaps. Then he got promoted, so congratulations. Jared Toby's a really cool story. He played his college ball just down the road from Comerica Park, played at Ernie Harwell Field at Wayne State University. He was a Wayne State warrior. Now he's going up to the Florida State League, did toss a shutout inning in his first appearance. Speaking of the Flying Tigers, let's go to Lakeland. They had the first of four rained out at Daytona. Then they lost three straight, but Brock Deathrich was definitely on fire. How did I know? He went five for 12 with two triples and a home run and a stolen base against Daytona. Hasn't he stolen like 30 plus bases so far? He's not obviously getting on base as much as I think he wants to, but he's got the stolen base numbers to make up for it. He's just a terror on the base pass. He's still going to have to get on base a little bit more to utilize that speed, but Brock Deathrich has been able to make the most of the times he has got on base. Meanwhile, Cody Clements smoked his 10th home run last week, but he's struggling at the plate, just hitting 129 in his last 10. We'll talk about Cody a little bit later on in the mailbag. Off to Erie. The Seawolves won two out of four against the Altoona Curve before they beat Akron in the first of three. Derek Hill has helped his team walk off a number of times with victories. A game-winning RBI single on Monday, five for his last 13 with three runs batted in. Also has a pair of home runs. He's hitting more home runs this year than he's hit in his entire career combined. Leading up to this year, he had a total in four professional seasons of eight homers. So he's already doubled his output and then some just this year alone. He's hitting for some more pops, so that's going to make the bat infinitely more valuable. We already know the defense is outstanding. Stolen bases are down a little bit, 11 for 20 in the stolen base department for Derek Hill. But we know that he has a chance to take a base anytime he gets aboard. Another notable performer, I feel like we're on repeat. This is like a copy-paste edition of The Road to Detroit. Tarek Skubal did it again. Recorded his second straight double-digit strikeout start against Altoona. Five innings, just three hits and a run, 10 strikeouts. He was outstanding. Tarek Skubal, he lives at our best-in-class segment. He'll be a candidate coming up in just a few moments. Meanwhile, Jose Azokar, 5 for 11, three runs batted in, hit a home run against Altoona, and Anthony Castro, he was huge for the Erie Seawolves, went five innings, allowing only two hits, nine strikeouts. Anthony Castro's numbers have quietly been pretty good. That's such an amazing Erie rotation. I mean, you're talking about Matt Manning, Alex Fiedo, Tarek Skubal now, who's just into that rotation, Anthony Castro, that's just to name a few. Erie is where all those arms that we've been talking about on this show for now eight going into nine episodes, they're pretty much all at Erie. Over to Toledo, the Mud Hens won two out of four against Louisville this past week, and Jake Robson, he's starting to put up numbers this season like we saw him put up in the International League last year when he hit over 300 and he had power to go along with it. He's five for his last eight, four runs batted in, hit his seventh home run of the season. He's quietly making a case to be one of those next men up when the Tigers need some help in their outfield. Jake Rogers, he's starting to hit a little bit. It's obviously been a tough learning curve for Jake 
at the AAA level, but we saw the same thing last year with him down in Erie. It was a tough first half for the Seawolves, but then he figured it out. Jake Rogers, four for his last seven, a pair of runs. He's finally having that offense catch up to the outstanding glove he brings behind home plate. Bo Burrows, the Tigers' first rounder from 2015, when five innings allowed just one run on two hits, he struck out four in his start against the Durham Bulls. That's a look at the on-ramp. The Road to Detroit podcast continues. Matt Manning, one of the top pitching prospects in all of baseball, Tigers' number two prospect, according to MLB Pipeline, has had an outstanding year in Double A Erie. Six and four, 277 ERA, 106 strikeouts in 91 innings. Matt Manning joins us now here on the RTD. Matt, good to talk to you. Hey, it's good to be here. Thanks for having me. All right. So, what a remarkable year for you. Take us through how things have felt here in 2019. Uh, they felt really good. Uh, I had a really good spring training, um, good off season to get ready for it, and uh, you know I've just been competing and um, have have had a little bit of success so far. You know, another year and another appearance in the futures game. You get to hang out with a ton of the best prospects in the game. What did you take from that experience this time around? I know you did it the year before too. Um, the year before it was kind of a shock. You know, there are a lot of good players on the verge of making the big leagues, and I was just in uh, again, high A, so trying to still make my mark. And uh, it just felt good this this time being around, seeing a lot of uh, the guys there, getting to know them, just being a part of that group, and just uh, kind of competing with them and trying to try to win on the field. How wild is it seeing a guy like Vladimir Guerrero Jr. in a futures game, and then fast forwarding a year and seeing him hitting forty home runs in a round in the home run derby? Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, you know, I, I also saw Pete Alonzo, who I played with uh, last year, and he's, um, you know, won the home run derby. And he said, he, you know, you're really a lot closer than you think. So just uh, keep going. One of your teammates, Isaac Paredes, was named to that game. His numbers have been a little pedestrian for a Futures Game nomination. He also was named an Eastern League All-Star. But we both know it's not all about numbers, and coaches have the final say on a lot of those Eastern League All-Star ballots. What have you seen from him this year? Uh, he hits balls hard. Um, you know, he's always been con- good contact. He doesn't strike out much, and uh, he's always making something happen. I think his, his defense at third base has just gotten incredible, and he's made a lot of great plays. And I think it was, uh, you know, he earned it, and that was his spot to get. We're talking with Matt Manning. So in that game, your catcher was Jake Rogers. He was your teammate. He's now with Toledo. How was it throwing to Jake again? And what makes that guy so good back there? Um, it was awesome. You know, you're just very comfortable, um, you know, knowing a guy like that and being, a, being able to throw to him and just makes things, takes the stress off. And, um, you know, he just takes care of us. So he'll get us pitches. He just knows what he's doing back there, so you don't have to think much. You played in that game out at Progressive Field, second Futures game for you. Anybody from some other teams stand out to you in that game? Uh, Nate Pearson from the Blue Jays. You know, he was uh, throwing flames up there. Um yeah, Nick Madrigal from the White Sox is really good. Dylan Carlson was really good. Um, you know, there was no short talent up there. <laughs> One guy that was not in that game with you, but certainly would have been had he been healthy, is Casey Mize, the number one overall pick in last year's draft out of Auburn and the Tigers' top prospect. You guys are the 1A, 1B right now. Compare your games for us. You guys are definitely different styles, but you're probably more similar than I think people realize. Um, you know, I think he's really, really good. He's, um, you know, puts up great numbers. He stays out of jams. He just uh, really, really knows what he's doing. It's, uh, it's fun to watch him pitch. I think we, uh, 
we're pretty similar in how we go about our business. Uh, I might be more a little more relaxed than he is, and he kind of uh, has a pretty strict routine. But, um, you know, I think we come kind of compete with each other a little bit and just try to uh, root for each other and just, you know, good teammates. You know, you mentioned being relaxed. How important is that to you? Because, you know, you started in West Michigan back in 2017, and we've seen you take a lot of steps from then to now. Is that one of the things that has helped you? Yeah, I think being relaxed and um, not worrying about the results and just going out there and um, leaving it to just competing with the hitters and trying to get them out is uh, what's helped me the best. I mean, I know it's easier said than done. How hard is it to let go in that situation? Because you really have to trust your stuff, right? Yeah, it's tough because you know you only get one one time, one day out of every five days to go prove yourself and um, and go play your game. So um, you really want to make it a good day and um, lean on it for the next five days. So it's tough to get relaxed and um, you know put put things aside, but you know just do my best. We're talking with Matt Manning. Everyone wants to know what you've done to get to this point. I know you've put a lot of time in. What have you learned about the craft since you got drafted? It's been a while now. Um, just throwing a lot of strikes. So keep the ball in the zone, uh, making hitters uh, hit the ball, not give up any free passes, uh, keeping off balance, just challenging them, trying to be unpredictable, not get into get any, too many patterns, and just... Uh, I'd like to just try to stay a little funky out there, try to throw things that the hitter wouldn't expect and, uh, you know, ramp up my fastball when I need to and then just get ahead when I need to. It really is just as much a mental game than it is a physical game. I assume you've learned a lot about that. You know, one of the times we've talked to a couple coaches about you, and they'd say things like, you know, he needs to be a pitcher, not a thrower. Now, this is going back a couple of years. Looks like you've started to figure that out. You know, you talked about being able to change speeds and locate. I mean, what else goes into that? Uh, I think it's what I've probably improved on the most so far. It's what I focus on, which is changing speeds and, and locating. I think my next step would be to um, be able to find hitters' holes and then ex- exploit those holes and just going back to that multiple times. One of the other things I think people like about watching you pitch is your extension to the plate. You're six foot six, so you have a little bit more of a reach than other guys do. How important is that for you, and has any of your coaches told you about how you can make that such a distinct advantage? I think it's just something I've always had, so it wasn't had to um, been coached. I think I took a long stride of play. I try to get pretty far extended and just um, kind of reach out as far as I can on all my pitches. I'm curious about the grip on your changeup. Reading a story from Fangraphs, and they were saying that it was looking and acting like more of like a hybrid split change. Is that something that you have, or is that something you know you have, or is that something that's new to you? No, I think it's just a regular Foss change up kind of um i spread my fingers on me a little bit more just so it's not a uh like a maybe a moderate fosh into just like a circle change take me back to the futures game darren Ravel ended up tweeting a photo of your spikes for the futures game they were adorned with characters from the tv show the office so tell me how this idea came about and clearly this is an important show for you yeah, it's uh, you know, I was with my agents and they were uh, they said they had to hook up with Katie Custom Kicks and if I needed something, uh, you know, we could get something rolling. So I just uh, I told them let's do it. I put some uh, my fair show and thing. I think I think it was throw the office on there and it just happened that they came in a couple of days before the futures game. So um, you know, they looked really nice and we figured we'd just wear them for that. 
By the way, you can see a picture of those spikes if you go to at Road to Detroit, at Tigers. I'm curious because you probably got interested in The Office, just like most of us did, by watching it on Netflix. So how many times have you run through this show now? Um, I'd have to say probably like seven or eight, something like that. <laughs> so do you have a favorite character? Um, I like them all. You know, I, I really like um, Kevin and um, you know, I'm down for Creed. Um, they're, they're all just special in their own ways. Let's see. We have now with us a quiz. Who said it? The Office Edition. I'm going to throw a quote out, and I'm going to see if you can pinpoint who said it. If you've watched this seven times, and I believe you when you say this, <laughs> I think you're going to be able to nail this. You ready? All right. All right. First one. All you need is love. False. The four basic human necessities are air, water, food, and shelter. <laughs> Do I shoot? I had to put more and more nickels into his handset until he got used to the weight. Jim. I think you know that one. That's definitely Jim. <laughs> In high school, my nickname was Kool-Aid Man. Um, Kevin. That's correct. The Dundies are like a car wreck that you want to look away, but you have to stare at it because your boss is making you. Um, Pam. Well, I'm setting Michael up with my fat friend anyway. He can just deal with it. Oh, I feel it. So far, you've gotten all of these right. I do play games. I sing and I dangle things in front of my cats. I play lots of games, just not at work. (laughs) Angela. I run a small fake ID company from my car. (laughs) Of course it's Creed. Of course it would be Creed. I realized that, for whatever reason, I just couldn't do better than Kelly. Who is that, uh, Ryan Howard? Ryan Howard. (laughs) I do not apologize unless I think I'm wrong. And if you don't like it, you can leave. Yeah. I think I used that one the other day. (laughs) (laughs) Every little boy fantasizes about his fairy tale wedding. Oh, Andy. (laughs) Just tell him to call me ASAP as possible. Oh, uh, Michael. Michael, yeah. (laughs) Last one. Every Halloween, I tell him the same thing. You can't bring weapons into the office. Uh, Toby. Yeah, that's Toby. Nice. <laughs> that's impressive. He got every single one right. That a boy, Matt Manning. Good stuff. I got to hand it to you, man. You definitely have watched this a bunch of times. <laughs> Matt Manning, appreciate the time. That was awesome. Thanks for being a part of it here on the road to Detroit. We'll catch up soon. Congratulations again on all the success here in 2019. For sure. Thank you. Appreciate it. Matt Manning just ran the board here on Road to Detroit. Is it just me, or should Best in Class be renamed the Tarek Skubal Award? I think he's won this thing like three or four times this season. He's just running away with this. One guy who has yet to win this is somebody we thought about giving this to in a previous week. Riley Green is this week's Best in Class winner. He has gone to Connecticut, and he's continued to mash pitching, whether it be in the Gulf Coast League and now the New York Penn League. Believe it or not, numbers have actually gotten better as he's moved up from the GCL into the New York Penn League. He hit 351 in the Gulf Coast League, and now in Connecticut, he's up to 400. His on-base percentage is nearly 500. He came a triple away from the cycle 
In his team's 14-10 victory, yes, Connecticut beat Tri-City in a game by a score of 14-10. Insert favorite football joke here. Riley Green was outstanding in that one, a three-run home run. He had four runs batted in, scored a couple of runs. He's been doing just about everything the Tigers hoped for and then some. Riley Green, you know, I talked to scouts about him, and they like to use one word. They say he's a dude. And that's one of the ultimate compliments that you can give a ball player, especially one at 18 years old. Riley Green is this week's best in class. The 2-0. And oh Green swings and hits gosh. this one high and deep out to right field. It's back at the wall. It is gone. Riley Green goes yard over the right field wall in the Connecticut Tigers have stretched their lead. The first career New York Penn League home run for Riley Green crazy to think that just a little over a month ago Riley Green was being named the Gatorade Florida High School Baseball Player of the Year. Best high school player in the state. Obviously one of the best high school players altogether to come out in the Major League Baseball draft. Tigers knew him from a long long time ago and it looks like he's making good on what's already turned into a pretty exciting investment for the Tigers with that fifth overall pick. Riley Green might be our first 18 year old to ever win best in class. It's now time for another edition of the Road to Detroit Mailbag. Had a great live Twitter Q&A with you guys last week. Wanted a chance to make up some of the questions that we didn't have time to get to on that particular segment. So here's what we'll do. Nate Wangler, our producer, will read your questions. You can follow the Tigers on Road to Detroit at Road to Detroit. You can also follow me at that Dan Hasty. Nate Wangler has our first question in today's mailbag. First question comes from Robert Fisher on Twitter. Any chance we will see Derek Hill in Detroit, or has that ship sailed? I enjoy watching his defense, but will the bat ever catch up? You know, to me, I think it feels like the ship has sailed. I mean, he's been in the Tigers system since 2014. He was the first-round pick. It's a long time to have been in the minor league system and not gotten to the major leagues. But here's the thing. He's 23 years old. That's still younger than a number of the Tigers' top 30 prospects. I mean... Alex Fiedo is also 23 years old. Are we talking about the ship sailing for Alex Fiedo? Nobody's talking about that. So, yeah, of course there's a chance. And look, he's starting to change his game a little bit. Now we're starting to see him do something he's never done before, and that's hit for power. I don't think because he has 11 stolen bases and that he's been caught nine times that that means that he doesn't have the same speed he had at one point. This is a guy that had stolen 25, 35, and 29 bases in three consecutive seasons. You don't just lose your speed that quickly, and especially at the age of 23. So I still think the speed is good. We know the defense is good. He's been on SportsCenter's top 10 a number of times, whether it's been in West Michigan or Lakeland or Erie. He's been all over the board in that regard. So the speed is there, the defense is there, and he's starting to hit for some power. Maybe he's not the guy who hits for a high batting average, but if he has a little pop in that right-handed bat, he'll certainly turn singles into doubles and doubles into triples, and a couple of home runs will keep his outfielders honest against him, which will give him the whole field to work with. So there's still some time for Derek Hill. He's still just 23 years old. I know it doesn't feel like he's 23 years old because of how long he's been in the system, but he still does things that are consistent. You know, we've talked about this on previous editions of the road to Detroit. If you're a guy who can't run and can't play defense and all your value is tied into your bat, what value are you bringing to the team on a day in which you go over four at the plate? If Derek Hill goes over four at the plate, he still brings an elite glove out in center field. He can still run. If he does end up on base some way or somehow, so he still does bring some things that help you win ball games. 
So I still think the jury's out. I know it feels like a long time. But again, 23 years old, and Derek Hill is starting to do some things we have yet to see him do. He's combined for eight home runs in five minor league seasons. But now this year, he's hit 11. So something's changed with Derek Hill. We'll have to just wait and see what is going on there. We'll probably get a better idea by the end of the year. Next question. (laughs) Next question comes from Lee on Twitter. What are your thoughts on prospect value returns for Shane Green, Matthew Boyd, Nicholas Castellanos, or Joe Jimenez? Although he puts in quotes at the end that he doesn't want to see them traded, but what are your thoughts on that? Well, I just think it's about capitalizing and striking while the iron's hot. To me, it's about accumulating assets. It's like trading stocks, right? It's trying to sell what's at its highest point and buy something at its lowest point, be able to get as many assets as you possibly can for what this team is supposed to look like in a year or two, maybe over the next 18 to 24 months. So in terms of what the hopeful return is, to me, I think the only way that you trade a guy like Matthew Boyd is if you're getting an outstanding prospect plus some other guys, but you need to get a high-end talent. There's no way that Matt Boyd is going to go to any team in Major League Baseball unless a very talented minor league player and a good prospect is heading back to Detroit's system. I mean, look, the Tigers have... Four prospects in the MLB Pipeline Top 100. They still need to add a little bit more, especially in the position player sides of things. So I think if the Tigers were to do something with Matt Boyd, that would be the biggest priority for the Tigers. To me, that the Tigers would have to go find and acquire if they were to trade a guy like Matthew Boyd. Now to Shane Green, I mean, we saw what Al Avila did a couple of years ago when he traded Justin Wilson with Alex Avila to the Chicago Cubs. He got Jamer Candelario, who's really starting to hit for the Tigers over the past couple of weeks. He also got Isaac Paredes, who is still a top five prospect in the entire system. Just played in the Futures game out in Cleveland a couple of weeks ago. So Isaac Paredes, Jamer Candelario, that's a pretty good return for a guy like Justin Wilson. So we'll see what Shane Green gets back if the Tigers decide to move on from him. I think Shane Green's probably the most obvious candidate to be able to pick up some talent. To me, Nicholas Castellanos, I honestly don't know how much he'll be able to bring back in a trade if the Tigers moved on from him. As for Joe Jimenez, I just think he's too young. And I think if they were to move him, look, I don't think in a situation where the Tigers are in that anybody is untradeable. I do think if the Tigers were to move Joe Jimenez, they're going to need a lot coming back because there's a lot of teams that see a whole lot of talent in that right arm. And I know the numbers have not been great for Joe Jimenez this year. But when you hear very smart, advanced, analytically-based teams very interested in a guy like Joe Jimenez, it's because they think they can fix him. They can get him right. And if they think they can get him right, the Tigers can too. Next question. Ivan Lambert on Twitter asks, at the Florida State League All-Star break, actually he began looking at the transactions every single day, expecting to see Parker Meadows moved to Lakeland. Your thoughts, is Parker ready to be moved or will he be moved by the end of the season? I mean, yeah, in a perfect world, Parker Meadows is going up to Lakeland at the second half of 2019. But again, they always said that the one big thing with Parker that they had to develop was his bat. That was the case when they drafted him. That's still the case here today. For what it's worth, the bat has gotten better in the second half. In the first half, Meadows hit 215. In the second half, he's up to 254. His on-base percentage at 324. He's showing a little more power. In the first half, he had three homers in 62 games. He already has three home runs in a third of those games. There's 21 games here in the second half. So, yeah, we're starting to see some signs for Parker that he's getting a better idea of the strike zone. And, look, he, he's got to work that out because that's the one thing that needed to show up with Parker Meadows. He's got good power. We saw him hit a line drive home run to dead center field. I don't know how he did that. 
But Parker Meadows has tools. They're very loud tools. He's also a pretty unique player. I think that's one thing that we've noticed about him. He's kind of a unicorn, and there's been people that have gotten on him a little bit and the Tigers for making Parker Meadows bunt throughout games. Well, yeah, he's the kind of guy that can lie down a bunt single and then go hit a ball 415 feet. And if you can do both, think about it. There's not a lot of players in baseball that can do that. And there's an advantage to having a guy that has the ability to do something like that. So, yes, I do see the ability to hit for power. I also see the ability to bunt a perfect ball down the third base line. Look, you don't want everybody bunting all the time, but it's the minor leagues. It's about player development. It's about getting those skills up to par now so when he gets to Detroit, he's not having to work out those kinks once he gets there. Next question. Kyle Walney on Twitter uh, inquires, is there a bat with 25 to 30 home run potential in the Tigers minor league system, maybe someone like outside of Isaac Paredes that could hit for power. Yeah, I saw this question from Kyle. The first person that came to mind was Riley Green. But I think the next person on that list, and there's a couple of guys who have the chance to do that. I think if everything fell right for Jake Rogers, I think we could see a 25 home run season from him. Jake Rogers is probably some of the best power in the entire Tigers minor league system. So he's somebody that could do it. I think somebody that could maybe approach 25 home runs, although I don't know if he could get to it, is Cody Clements. He already has 10 home runs in the Florida State League. He's been hitting for a little bit of a lower average than I think people expected, but a lot of talent. Everybody down in Lakeland was unanimous saying that he was the most impressive position player on the backfields altogether. So yeah, I think Cody Clements could threaten that number. I'd say the best chance to crack 25 home runs still probably lands in Jake Rogers. Next question is from Sam Tuori on Twitter. Uh, what is a position of need that the Tigers could fill in trading Matthew Boyd Shane Green or Nicholas Castellanos? Well, we already kind of talked about this. I would say to me, corner infield would be a priority. You know, the Tigers have spent a lot of resources to get as many shortstops as they can in recent years, whether it be Sergio Alcantara, Willie Castro, Isaac Paredes. They ended up moving him off of shortstop. Now he's playing yeah. at third base. So now you're looking at a handful of guys who are up the middle. Cody Clemens, obviously the second baseman, but there's a little less depth over at second. But just about everywhere in the infield other than shortstop, they could probably use bats, but particularly in the corners. Next question. Next question comes from The Bear on Twitter. There's a bear on Twitter? Apparently. That's new to me. That's horrifying. Go on. <laughs> ask your question. How is Cam Gibson doing? I know you got to see a little bit of him in West Michigan but is there any legitimate chance of him not only making but staying with the Tigers long term? Well, you know, he's 25. He's a Michigan native, so he's going to be a fan favorite if he ever does go to Detroit. He's hitting 254 this year. The power's a little bit down this season for Cam Gibson, but he can run like the wind, 17 stolen bases this year. He can draw a walk every now and then. He's got extra base power. He plays good defense, and the best thing about him is that he just plays hard. He's a really tough out. And he cares. You know, one of the things I think that I've always identified best with is Detroit Tigers players that feel about the Tigers the same way that I did as a kid growing up. I'll get asked, you know, who's your favorite all-time Detroit Tiger? And my answer for that is Todd Jones. Todd Jones, the roller coaster, the guy that made us all queasy in the ninth inning when he came out on the mound. But the reason is because you knew that he loved the Detroit Tigers. 
And nothing ever could question that. It doesn't matter if his fastball was 91 or 81. Ty Jones loved being a Tiger. And as somebody who was a fan of this team growing up, I associated with guys who felt about this team the way that I did. So Cam Gibson is the same kind of kid. He grew up a Tigers fan as well. So you know that he cares about that English D. But, you know, somebody who's the son of Kurt Gibson, so he's already got such a huge footprint in Tigers history just because of the lineage factor. Cam Gibson could be a heart and hustle kind of guy. Who knows if he ever makes it up to the major leagues. I would love to see it, and I think Comerica Park would love him. Next question. You made a pretty bold prediction during your Road to Detroit question and answer on Twitter. Well, you know I'm here for hot takes. Right. (laughs) It was about Cody Clemens. Uh, You said... Hoping Cody will be in Detroit by the end of next year. You go in spring training, obviously, they were raving about him. Uh, He just hit his 10th home run with Lakeland. Uh, He's a better second baseman than a lot of people realize. That answer drew a question from Rick Lindquist on Twitter. He said, quote, you have him jumping all the way from A, advanced ball, to the MLB by next year. He goes, that's big. Why do you think that, and will he continue to advance with the bat in his hand at AA and AAA? Well, I think one of the most universal traits for an offensive player is discipline, being able to command the strike zone. And Cody Clemens does that. He's drawn 33 walks this year, so he's got about a nice 70-point difference between his batting average and an on-base percentage. So there's that. That's the first thing. Secondly, he's hitting under 230 right now. So yeah, it's been a tough season in that realm at the plate, but the power's there. And the extra base power is there. He's got 30 extra base hits this season. That says something. So he's clearly showing an ability to drive the baseball, which is exactly what he did on the backfields during spring training. You know, like how we all have to mix in a salad every now and then? Well, he needs to mix in a couple of singles every now and then. But he's one hot streak away from showing that he is competent and able to handle that level. And, you know, last year, here's what happened. Cody Clemens was given an aggressive assignment to West Michigan as soon as he was drafted in the third round from Texas. And then by the end of the year, he didn't finish the season in West Michigan. He finished it up in Lakeland. And considering that logic, if the Tigers did the same thing with him this year, we could see him end the season in Erie. And if you start next year in AA, you're one call away. There's many guys that have gone from the AA Erie Seawolves up into the major leagues. Obviously, more guys go from Toledo. But if you start in AA, you go to Toledo at some point, and then all of a sudden all bets are off. The last month of the season, you know, you could see the Tigers end up pulling up a guy like Cody Clemens. And look, I mean, he got drafted as an advanced college player last year. So that would be about two full years in the minor leagues. There have been guys that have moved up much faster than that, and they've been playing in lower levels than high A. So Cody Clemens does have the timeline on his side. We talked about the numbers. You know, everything can change while we're sitting here a week from now doing the next episode of The Road to Detroit. And again, if you ever want to talk Tigers prospects, hit us up on Twitter. You can find me at that Dan Hasty. You can always tweet to the Road to Detroit at Road to Detroit. That was this edition of the RTD Mailbag. It's now time for the Road Ahead. Let's take a look down the road ahead. The Connecticut Tigers take on Aberdeen in a four-game road series, while West Michigan hits the road as well. They're on the trip to Wisconsin. They take on the Beloit Snappers and the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers in a three-game set. Most of Beloit's prospects have gone up to high A, so the Snappers have actually struggled mightily coming out of the gate in the second half. They're 7-16 and 16 at the time of this podcast. Lakeland hits the road. They take on Dunedin in a four-game series, while Erie returns home to take on Akron in a three-game set. Over the course of this week, Alex Fiedo, Matt Manning, and Tarek Skubal will all make starts 
for the Erie Seawolves. So we'll have a lot to talk about when it comes to next week here on the road to Detroit. Toledo finishes off a four-game series against Durham. They'll host Syracuse for three. I think the biggest thing we're keeping an eye on on the road to Detroit is what happens at the trade deadline. We are closing in on the 2019 trade deadline. Now remember, it's different than it's been in past years because the waiver trade deadline that used to be at the end of August is no longer in place. So any trades that are going to happen need to happen here by July 31st. So it's going to be a critical time for the Tigers to add more talent to their minor league system. They have a couple of really good pieces at the major league level. And if they were to move on those guys, they need to get a big-time return for those particular players. If the Tigers make a big move, we'll be there. We'll tell you everything we can find out about those players. We'll talk with people on the Tigers' side. We'll find out about some of these guys a little bit more in depth and figure out just exactly what the Tigers are getting in return. Could be a very interesting final two weeks of July for the Detroit Tigers. So no matter what, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you can access the Road to Detroit on Twitter at Road to Detroit. You can follow me as well at that Dan Hasty. We'll have a lot to discuss on the next edition of the Road to Detroit. We'll dive a little bit deeper on the trade deadline in case anything happens. We'll talk about it then. In the meantime, we'll be keeping our eyes on the Tigers minor league system to see what's going on as the Tigers minor leaguers pursue their road to Detroit. Just a quick reminder that you can catch up on all these editions of Road to Detroit by going to Road to Detroit on Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts, Google, Spotify, it's everywhere. Click the subscribe button. Make sure you don't miss a moment of Road to Detroit. i to wrap things up for this edition of the RTD. Our thanks to all the good people who make this podcast go. Our producer is Nate Wangler. Coming up next week, we'll look into that MLB trade deadline, focusing a little bit closer on what the Tigers' options are looking like, what kind of players they might be looking to try to get in return. We'll give you all the latest on the next edition of The Road to Detroit. We're officially past the halfway point. That's it and that's all. See ya!